0: Growing your B2B SaaS to 10 million ARR is hard and will have many challenges. What if you could get advice of industry experts who already did it or helped others do it? As a founder myself, I know you're always lacking time and it's often hard to find this kind of advice in a digestible way. My name is Jorn Hoffman. I'm the founder of Redditus and the host of the Grow Your B2B SaaS podcast. In season two of our podcast, I interviewed 20 industry experts on all different topics on how to grow your B2B SaaS. At the end of the interview, i asked them the exact same question. What kind of advice would you give a SaaS founder growing to 10 million AOR? This summary episode purely gives you the answers to that single question. I did ask this right after I asked them how to grow to 10k MRR, so it is going to be a big jump we're making here. If you haven't reached 10k MRR yet, make sure to listen to that episode first. Before you hit a guest peak, I will let you know who it is and which episode, in case you want to listen to the full interview. let's go we're going to start with episode one where i interviewed michael dominovic on how to run profitable ad campaigns
1: i think what i've seen with companies that are at that size is that they're still doing a lot of what they're doing but they're allocating more money to testing and experimenting and that could be then with different channels to find different avenues of growth i think at this stage that's probably the best piece of advice i've got for those companies in
0: episode two i interviewed michael Humle on why should somebody buy your SaaS now?
2: There we have to really start digging into these sales decks, that's the first thing. You gotta really start digging into the sales decks, the sales storyline, you have to really optimize that. And then you need to have a massive content machine where you actually start drip feeding with valuable content. You you basically wanna build this massive pipeline of trust and then you can actually start controlling your flow. A lot of SaaS, the dream is always inbound and I understand from all the reasons why, but the problem I see with these larger companies that the 10 millions is they've optimized the perfection of this inbound. that if things go wrong and they will go wrong always is that they forgot the way to, to control their own destiny with their outbound. So one of the things I always take back is we got to find ways to do some outbound into markets. We don't know yet because you need to be sharp on that level because if shit hits the fan, you can scale that up. And it's always the same. It's like expanding to another country, it's expanding with a new product, new region, and it's, for me, the trick is fixing the nobody knows you with like, the content approach and then accelerating by getting the why now techniques in there from the storyline, the the internal hunger and the structure and all of those techniques, which would work really well on landing pages, by the way. The structure slides, you can just put it on your landing page. Everybody will get it, the five steps to the three
0: steps to whatever. Yeah in episode three i interviewed Mats weather on how to build a strong culture
3: so that's obviously a very huge span so let me try to break it down a bit until you hit around three million embrace that you can be a bit chaotic that you don't need a process for everything and that's the time where you can really experiment and you can afford to take a d route at that stage it's not the end of the world but when you surpass those three million you created a real business and Now you actually figured out, based on all of those experiments and all of those swings you took at the ball, you figured out what works. Now you need to double down on that. You need to double down on what works. And that can be anything from how we hire, which people we hire, how do we do sales, how do we do marketing, how do we develop the product, how does all of the internal processes work, all of like very holistically in the company, what works, and then you do more of that, and then you supercharge that. And you do way less off course things. You don't have the same flexibility because it's not, now it's about doubling down to get to that 10 million and three and a half X the company from there. So embrace that you can do a lot of experiments, do a lot of experiments early on, find your way. But when you found it, you need to actually acknowledge, okay, now it's time to double down.
0: In episode four, I interviewed
4: Thomas Small on how to sell your b 2 house. So think the key things to grow to 10 million at ARR and we got that. A number of years ago now but i think the biggest challenges are focusing on metrics like churn if your churn is extremely high it doesn't mean it's impossible you can grow to ten thousand dollars a month with churn at essentially any level there's lots of different ways you can get to that level but to get to 10 million so almost a million a month you have to focus on churn you have to focus on retention and i think the best way to do that is early in the funnel so focus on onboarding, too many people completely ignore onboarding. They spend all their time doing marketing because they just listened to my point in the last section. They spend no time on onboarding. So you have all these customers potentially coming in and they're doing free trials. If you have a free trial and they're never signing up for a paid plan because they don't understand the product or maybe your free trial gives away too much, or maybe it's just confusing. So don't focus enough on onboarding. If you can fix onboarding, generally that helps with churn. People stay around if they're fundamentally actually using your Product. People are always going to churn if they don't know how to use your product or don't get set up properly. And then number two, and this is the thing for any business really scaling beyond 10 million in revenue, you have to learn how to manage people and build a team. You can get to a million a year revenue with no team or a very small team. And I see it all the time. People who have a team of two plus themselves, you can get to a million. I don't know if it's impossible, but it's close to impossible to get to 10 million without building a team and learning to to manage. That's definitely not saying I'm not an expert at managing. Yes, we have 150 people, but I'm not the world's best CEO or anything like that. You'll constantly be learning. But I think you need to be willing to hire people, willing to delegate tasks, whether they're full-time employees or whether they're freelancers or contractors, that's what you need to do. And they need to take over parts of the process. If you have a marketing channel, so we spoke about, Instagram threads, Twitter, TikTok, all of those different channels. Maybe you can hire someone that helps with that. Yes, you might still need to be involved. For example, with your podcast at the moment, you might be doing all the production yourself, but if you want to grow, you might hire someone full-time who's your podcast producer, and then you hire someone who's going to also do the marketing, and then you hire someone to make sure you're doing social media well, or it's being emailed out to your email list and your audience. So you hire people for all the different stages as you go and I always think it's important, particularly on the way to 10 million is figuring out what you're good at, and you probably still need to do that. I used to work within my own business today. I said, essentially have a job, but I work on the things I'm good at. And I definitely do not do the things I'm not good at. Get out of the way of people who are better at their job than you are. That's really the only way to grow to 10 million. And if you ask exactly the same question, how do you get to 50 million or how do you get to hundred million? It's exactly the same again. The only real difference is you need to learn to manage, manage on it. your way to 10 million. You just need to learn to manage people once you get beyond that level. I spend almost all of my time speaking to managers. I don't literally manage 150 people. I'm responsible for 150, but it's actually the of the managers within the team, the senior people that I spent all of my time working and speaking to.
0: In episode five, I interviewed Meva Cifuentes on how to leverage SEO as a B2B SaaS.
5: It's tricky because at this point, have they already been doing SEO or have they not? That's the question there because SEO is kind of like a marathon. So if you start late, it's basically like everybody's already been running for two hours and then you have to catch up to them. So again, the answer is kind of the same. Like A lot of people are tempted to start really small and be like, try a little bit and validate it. You probably should have validated it earlier. It can be validated. If you see your competitors are growing and driving revenue through it, then it's validated as a channel. But remember that it's a marathon. Everybody's ahead of you. So if you're going to choose it, probably go hard on it. And at that point, you can invest a little bit more. And try programmatic SEO because it's a really efficient way to go hard on SEO.
0: In episode six, I interviewed Stefan Heddebrandt on how to do revenue attribution the right way. And then I would give SaaS founders particularly, I would tell them to ask their teams about how what they are doing in their team is helping your company make more money and continuously challenge this, this narrative or this explanation. So if you're a sales team, then ask them, how are you generating money? How is the marketing team generating money? So the whole company gets curious about how this process looks like. And then hopefully some of the smarter cookies out there would then say, I must be some kind of a technical solution to this question. But I think the most important thing is just being super both curious and 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 ambitious about understanding how do we generate revenue and what can we do more of to generate more revenue. In episode seven, I interviewed Mike
6: Rizzo on how to build a community as a B2B SaaS. I would say start leaning in on what is the staff requirement the people manager side of it look like for managing any type of the community that we talked about during this show right whether that's product innovation content whatever it is make sure that you look at the headcounts that you're going to need in order to run those effectively and then make sure you like are investing in the right sort of technologies but i don't mean just pick a forum product or whatever there isn't a right or wrong way to do There's probably a wrong way, but there isn't like the perfect solution for any one of your initiatives. I would say just make sure you have somebody involved that can try to take what's what is going to come from this community effort and tie that back into the business, right? Their mission shouldn't just be that you have a successful community for whatever its purpose is. It should also be how do we communicate that value back into the partner channel back into marketing back into customer success back into support or sales or product or wherever it needs to go make sure that data can flow back to those other key stakeholders in your business and really invest in that motion right it's community often sits on an island and so try to make it more a part of the business and have it roll into to some portion of the business ideally not marketing. I come from marketing. I get it. You want to use it, but like marketers, inevitably their KPIs are all about like pipeline and leads and all that other stuff. I think I, I think when a community is built for the intention of driving more revenue, you're probably missing the point. And so maybe have it roll into a different org with some different KPIs. But don't forget to pass back some information when the opportunity's right. If you see a problem that a customer has in the community, I think it's okay to communicate that back over to the marketing and sales and customer success team for whatever cross-sell upsell motion you want to try to go after. But that's not the purpose of the community. In episode eight, I interviewed Ildefonso Pretto
0: on how to improve your user onboarding.
7: So this is when things start getting more complicated, right? You're starting to reach out to different channels, even for your marketing And there's even more user personas, your product does more things. So in this realm, you first, the first thing I recommend is personalizing the user onboarding by personas. So each persona is there to do something. And if you can craft that journey for them specifically, they would quickly get to value and they won't. You know how I mentioned before that sometimes that you land in a product that has all these other things and you don't even know where to start you basically are putting blindfolds on them so they don't see all the other stuff and they can just go towards their value. And then once they attain their value, then you can be like, oh, by the way, we'll do all these other stuff. But you got them to value. And that's for each persona. And because you're bigger and you do have more futures for your product, you'll have more things to tailor. So personalizing is a huge thing once you are bigger. Another thing is you start focusing more on revenue you know how before i was focusing on retention at this point you've already proven retention and you can start looking more into data like qu- quantitative data that's where that's when i would start diving deep into quantitative data like it's a shift and but then you you're, and you're looking for ways to increase lifetime value per customer but also decrease cost per acquisition by activating more users so if you're able to activate more users your cost per acquisition decreases therefore making your business more scalable and that's literally what at that point you're trying to scale so the main focus is to to improve the relationship between cost per acquisition and lifetime value that's the metric that you hear a lot about scalability and it's one to three i think the recommended one so for every one dollar you spend you get three dollars but that's what makes it super scalable And that's what your user onboarding should be focusing on. And you all have different metrics. And at that point, you need to define like the specific metrics. You need to have the onboarding phone. Like data becomes like the biggest part here because you have it. And that's where you can't do usability testing with everybody. It's still useful, but at this point you have so many users that they're literally telling you with the data, what you need to fix. So that would be my shift in mindset. I uh, thing, you would start like looking into data analytics and some of the metrics that I would recommend, by the way, it should be like onboarding conversion rate, time to onboard. So how long does it take people to onboard? And there's, at this point, you'll be able to check literally what features of your product are leading to further engagement and which actions within the user onboarding experience are leading to churn. And if you're able to, at first they almost look like correlations, right? But you might be able to see some patterns. And even maybe with your gut feeling and everything, but basically what the data paints, it'll paint, all right, if a user is using these features, it's more likely for them to onboard correctly than if they use these other features. And then you would have to track it by that persona. So that also depends, but it gets more complicated. Basically it's more, much more about data than it is what it was before. I think that would be my summary. In episode nine, I interviewed
6: Alex Levin on how to do product marketing for your B2B SaaS. So if I'm talking to a later stage CEO, I think it's a very different world. It's you've already proven that you can have some salespeople repeatedly go and sell the thing that you have. What you need to start thinking about is the process to make sure that you're at scale doing what we just talked about. How are you getting customer feedback? How are you discovering what customer competitors are doing? How are you? Than thinking about the positioning how are you training other people on it how are you getting feedback from them so you can do it at scale and not just as a single founder so that's a big transition and it starts with obviously hiring your first product marketer and finding somebody who's aligned with you on your vision for that role in episode 10 i interviewed
0: james ski how to build and grow a b2b SaaS sales team so generally at this stage of the business you've probably got a couple of sdrs that are booking meetings And you need two, maybe three closers, plus yourself that's going to be supporting larger businesses. What you would like to think is that on that way to 1 million ARR, that you've got a proven track record, you've got a playbook that you're iterating and developing. Your product adds value. what point in the kind of customer journey it adds value. You've got proof point. You've got testimonials. You've got a team of closers that independently close sales without any of your interaction or input. And and that's when you know that you're starting to build a, you know, repeatable sales process, predictable pipeline, and that's going to allow you to scale through 1 million ARR, and then obviously you start going on a different journey. In episode 11, I interviewed Jan Skallen. How to reduce your CPL and scale profitable ad campaigns.
1: Now, just as I said. Kid foundation. I'm lucky, so I already have four exits. So I know what it takes to build a company. And so I would say like you and me are a member of the same, the same SaaSto founders memberships. Don't listen to everybody because you're going to get so many advices from every LinkedIn, the experts are talking about how to build and scale and create things. Well, how many companies did they sell? How many companies did they create? Yeah. Some are really good, but most of them, 90% of them, none. And you shouldn't listen to them. Being part of a community with like-minded people and learning. because, And that's what I like with our talks in SFM. Because I'm learning from your mistakes. I don't care about how you succeed because maybe I can put that to my company. But when I hear where somebody really messed up, I make a note of that. And yeah, I'm trying not to do the same mistake. So I think that smart people try to learn from other people's mistakes. And that's where I take my learning, not the success stories about everything that is great. In episode 12,
0: I interviewed Andrew Kazdeki on how to bootstrap your SaaS to a 10 million plus exit.
8: Start hiring people smarter than you as soon as you can afford them. That was probably my biggest mistake at business apps, personally. And the first thing I did when we started getting to a point at Acquire where I can hire people that you know, I had previously worked with that are far smarter than me to take over certain departments. That was the first thing I did. So get out of customer support. You always want to have a pulse on your customers forever. But you don't need to be sitting on live chat forever. Like you need to work on the business, not in the business. And that's a critical shift that I think a lot of founders don't really understand in terms of how impactful, like how much faster you can grow if you build a team. Startups, in my opinion, are a team sport. And so to do that, you need to pull yourself out of departments and be a selector of leaders to take over customer support, to take over marketing, to take over sales, to take over product management, because that way you're building a business rather than just a
0: really highly demanding 100-hour-a-week job. In episode 13, I interviewed Lotte Geldermans. How to secure an early stage investment for your SaaS?
9: Professionalize your pipeline. Like we mentioned before, really professionalize that weighted pipeline. Create predictability within your company. Find out what sticks, what doesn't, and even more than what it did before. And just start growing like crazy and do things smartly. Also, one tip that I have there is don't hire too quickly. We always say hire when it hurts. So it's very often people say, okay, I just raised money. Yeah, I'm going to hire 20 people. No, start with the core. Hire where it h- hurts. Play it smartly. Now I'm going to sound like a broken record, like everybody else is saying, but we live in that time and age right now that there's a lot of things that can be super easily automated with AI. So really invest more time in that today, setting up those scalable processes more so than scaling a huge team right now, because you're going to experience those pains. Definitely. If you have all of a sudden a hundred people working for you and you don't know what to do with them. There's a lot of things that come to, this to play on that. Yeah. Be bit careful on that and focus more on the right processes than hiring a lot of people.
0: In episode 14, I interviewed Nathan Latka on how to get capital as a bootstrapper.
10: If you're at 10,000 of MRR and you're trying to decode how to get to 10 million of revenue, download your customer base. It's paying 10 grand, right? It makes up 10 grand of MRR. Sort from who's paying the most to the least and go figure out, just only focus on the customer paying you the most money and go think about how do you change all of your top of funnel strategy to just go get more of that highest paying customer. That's the fastest way to decode how to go from 10K in MRR to 10 million of ARR.
0: Yeah. And then especially with the thing you have in mind, make sure that it's, it's cost effective. So you keep your customer acquisition cost low even while trying to get more of those.
10: The best way to grow MRR is to sell the same product to richer people.
0: A good one. I don't know if it's going to fit with the future of SaaS, but that's, that is a nice one.
10: Oh, no. It's like uh, if it's a future of SaaS is usage-based pricing, and let's say the usage is i'm making this up number of rows of code ingested to your database per month someone that has a way bigger SaaS company is probably willing to pay more per row of ingested data because they sell more to their customers right than someone who's pre-revenue so the same still applies same sell the same product on a usage basis to richer people
0: in episode 15 i interviewed Mark staus on how to plan predict and prove your go-to-market plan
11: at that point It is totally a confidence and trust game. If you want proof of this, just look at your average sales cycle. What happens? About halfway through, they stop asking you all kinds of investigative questions and they move entirely into risk mitigation and due diligence. They're also not really talking to you nearly as much as they are third parties that might have point of view on you. Because what they're really trying to to assess is all that stuff that the vendor told us, is that true? Can we count on that? And the more the answer is yes. So the more confidence they have, the more trust they have in you, the way that manifests, analytically speaking, company after company shows this. you get bigger deals, so you get a lot of deal expansion going on when they have more and more confidence in particular. And trust is the governing factor on how quickly they close deals with you. So your average deal velocity, the relationship between average deal velocity and trust scores is off the charts. So if you have low trust, they're going to take a lot longer to do the deal.
0: In episode
12: 16, I interviewed Andy Carruzza on how to achieve product market fit. This is where scale and process has become really important. So if you've actually defined your product market fit, actually one thing, so... You might even have 10K and, MR, and ARR, but like I mentioned earlier, like that rev- don't, don't assume that revenue means that you have your business model. So step number one would be, okay, we have some revenue coming in. Are we ready to actually scale? And can these processes really scale out our business? Or this is the point to where you have to really make that decision to, to pivot your company. So first, really know that you have product market fit and just make sure that you have that dialed in. So if you have that, then you're ready to scale your business. You've defined hopefully some processes that work for how you treat your customers, how you onboard new customers, maybe the marketing channels that are really working for you. And there's a great book that I like that I read several years ago by the founder of DuckDuckGo. I think it's called Traction. So basically, it identifies 19 different traction channels. There's more now, but where you can get you could actually get your customers. And for every business, it's not going to be the same traction channels each and every time. So sometimes founders walk into it with a bias that that they think what worked in their previous company is going to work in this company. So look at everything from a clean slate and don't be afraid to try new marketing channels to experiment and grow. But if you identify processes that really work to scale your business, double down on those. If you found in like a particular marketing channel, maybe it's product partner-led growth, really double down on developing more partnerships because that'll build that foundation that really helps scale your business. So I would say at this stage, you're Building a scalable model and, and defining processes that you could scale with will really help you get to that 10 million AR. But don't be afraid to try new things, right? Always be experimenting there because you might you might discover like a new way, a better way of doing things or maybe a new marketing channel that you might not have thought of before that actually ends up becoming pretty lucrative for your revenue growth. In
0: episode 17, I interviewed Shea Ho on how to leverage marketing
13: automation for your SaaS. On the path to 10 million in ARR, a lot of it becomes about some of the soft skills and the criticality of the team you're building and the culture you're setting. So don't be shy about how you're focusing on how you're growing and building that team and being critical about, are we hiring the right people? Are we setting the right culture? Have we defined our values? And are we hiring, promoting people, holding the accountable to those values? And are we holding that bar actually high enough? for the company we want to build and establish. And alongside that, you're also focusing on how does the team work? Are we building a level of operational excellence into what might be some more of the formal functions or disciplines in the business? So do we have the right measurement tools in place? Do we have the right project management in place? And is all of that built in a way that is fundamentally serving our customers? So it's not tools for the sake of having a process or just having a layer of documentation around who's doing what, but really is it geared, is it oriented into providing value for our customers? and a golden loss approach, do we have the right amount of process for ourselves in that moment? Not too much, but not too little in a sense where you're able to actually grow the business through that. So yeah, a lot of that into the, the 10 million AR side, it's team and it's culture and a lot of the initial takes of processes.
0: In episode 18, I interviewed Melissa Kwan on how to become profitable as a bootstrap SaaS.
14: Especially for people who, are, who haven't done this before is it's okay to admit and to embrace the fact that everything's new because we're all making it up as we go. I think like when you, if you only look at social media and and things like that, like it, it almost makes it seem like everyone knows what they're doing. But the people who love to sound most like they know what they're doing are consultants who have never done it themselves before. So never take advice from someone who's never been in your shoes. It's super easy as a consultant to be like, oh, you should do all these 10 things. But if you've never been a founder, if you've never had to figure it out on, on your own and you can't, you don't have the money to hire people from big companies who have actually done what you've done, you have to figure it out yourself. So I think the best advice is just embrace it. Embrace the fact that you don't know what you know, but just know that it's normal and, and everyone else is also figuring it out. On
0: episode 19, I interviewed Joyce McKenzie on Strategic Finance. Getting from product market fit to code to market success.
5: I think from 10k to 10 million AR, there's many. There's, I would say, at least three or four kind of step functions to get there. Usually, you see the kind of 10k to about two or three million AR as being one stage, and then a two to three million AR to around five to seven million AR being another stage, and then beyond that, then you get to 10, and then there's 20, and then 30, and then 50. So each stage doesn't get easier actually unfortunately it does get easier when you figure out the one channel you have that you can acquire customers really well predictably efficiently repeatably just really and in the beginning you're going to be testing across many different channels right very quickly doing iterations to figure out what works what doesn't but just identifying that one channel that core icp and not deviating too much from that and just being disciplined and continuing to double triple down on those, I think will take you a long way.
0: In episode 20, I interviewed Amir Ryder on why should you hire globally as a SaaS company?
12: If you grow to 10 million ARR, just don't get into the habit of overhiring. I think you always hear that people are overhiring during those days, they get very manic and just excited and happy and we're going to hit hundred million revenue and the overhire. So I would say just do the opposite. Take a look back, value, analyze all your KPIs, your positions, and optimize. Because I think that success will give you a tendency to want to overhire, and just be careful. With that.
4: That's pitfall.
0: These were all the pieces of advice on how to grow your B2B SaaS to 10 million ARR from season two. If you love this episode, make sure to listen to the full ones as they will be packed with a lot of value. Before we end this, could you just do me a quick favor? Can you follow the podcast, give it a review, a rating, a thumbs up or anything which is possible where you're currently listening? Feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. My name is Johan Hoffman. And if you're interested in growing your B2B SaaS, which you probably are, make sure to check out Redditors. If you mention that you listened to this episode, you will get some extra benefits. Again, thank you for listening. And this concludes Season 2. So I'll see you back in Season 3 of the Grow Your B2B SaaS podcast. Cheers.